Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I just wanted to take a moment and tell you about how important your liver health is. In fact, if you're suffering from low energy, brain fog, or unexplained belly fat, the problem could be your liver. You may not know it, but your liver is the foundation for good health. It performs more than 500 key functions like filtering toxins, breaking down nutrients, and keeping your cholesterol in check. But over time, your liver can start to wear down, and that's when you get energy crashes, belly fat, and trouble with your memory and concentration. Fortunately, there's a simple solution. It's called Liver Health Formula. Liver Health Formula contains 11 powerful herbs and nutrients, things like milk thistle that are clinically proven to recharge and revitalize your liver. It also helps protect against fatty liver, which is a silent epidemic affecting 100 million Americans. Liver Health Formula is manufactured in the US and it's approved by many American health professionals. And as a listener of this show, you can try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3 to keep your heart and brain healthy when you order today. So what a great deal. You get Liver Health Formula and a free bottle of nano-powered omega-3. Just go to getliverhelp.com forward slash jockers and claim your free bonus gift. Again, that's getliverhelp.com, G-E-T-L-I-V-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash jockers. That will get you your liver health formula and your free bottle of nano-powered omega-3. So take advantage of that deal today. This podcast, I'm being interviewed by my friend, Dr. Peter Kahn. He's been on our podcast several times. He's really a wealth of knowledge, really brilliant guy. And he is doing an autoimmunity summit. And he asked to interview me on the key strategies to stabilize blood sugar and reduce inflammation and autoimmunity. And so we did a deep dive on hyperglycemia, hypoglycemia, how to stabilize blood sugar, my top strategies from a nutrition, fitness perspective. We talked about sleep apnea, some really key things in this podcast. You guys are gonna really enjoy it. If you know anybody that's looking to burn fat, balance their blood sugar, reduce inflammation and autoimmunity, share this podcast with them. These are some key strategies that have helped so many people. I mean, thousands of people that we've worked with really be able to reverse chronic disease in their body. So super key. And if you've not left us a five-star review, now's the time to do that. Just go to Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, find out where you can leave a review and leave us a five-star review. It helps us reach more people and impact more lives. Thanks so much for doing that. And thank you for being a part of our community here. Let's go into the show. Thank you so much for joining us, David. Dr. Peter Kahn, always great to be on with you. You're a wealth of knowledge and I always enjoy our conversations. Absolutely. Well, you're an expert in the area of metabolism and blood sugar and then keto diet. So this masterclass is focused on beating autoimmunity. So I would like you to share with the audience, like why does blood sugar matter as far as autoimmunity? Let's start there. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, blood sugar matters for our energy levels. And, you know, whenever I think of metabolic health, I think, how is our body actually creating energy? And so one of the way, one of the, 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 the key things our body needs for energy is going to be fuel and glucose or sugar, blood sugar is one of the main fuel sources that our body uses for energy. And so we have kind of this tight window. We don't want too much blood sugar or too little, too much blood sugar. We call hyperglycemia. And when sugar molecules, when they increase above a certain threshold, when, when we have high blood sugar, the sugar molecules will actually bind to proteins inside of our blood and they'll actually create something called an advanced glycation end product, or these are kind of sticky proteins that drive up inflammatory activity. And ultimately these AGEs, these advanced glycation end products, cause a significant damage to the endothelial lining of the blood vessels. That's the internal lining of the blood vessels. And they scar it up. And you think about somebody with uncontrolled diabetes, they end up, they don't die just from high blood sugar. They end up dying because they have kidney failure, because the blood vessels have been so damaged going into their kidneys. They end up dying of congestive heart failure. They end up with peripheral neuropathy where their nerves become so damaged that they no longer can feel, or sometimes they have just chronic pain in their body. They have optic neuritis because the optic nerve has become destroyed by high blood sugar. This effect of high blood sugar and these AGEs, they end up with dementia or Alzheimer's and they call it Alzheimer's type three diabetes. And so, you know, these individuals are dealing with the ramifications of prolonged hyperglycemia and accelerated formation of these advanced glycation end products. So obviously we don't want high blood sugar, but we also don't want our blood sugar to drop too low. We call that hypoglycemia. When you have hypoglycemia, then you know you feel dizzy, you feel hangry, you have cravings, you have headaches often, and, and you may even pass out. In fact, there's research that shows that if you've had a significant hypoglycemic effect, which would mean like passing out, for example, if you pass out from hypoglycemia one time in your life, it increases your risk of dementia and neurodegenerative conditions by over 40%. Why is that? Because when the blood sugar drops, our brain is constantly, it constantly needs a fuel supply of blood sugar. And uh, when our blood sugar drops too low, now the neurons in the brain aren't getting the fuel that they need. They start to die. When they die, they spill out all these different contents like calcium and these different ions and electrolytes. And then those compounds will actually overexcite the neurons next to them and create this sort of, it's almost like a domino effect. We call it neuroexcitotoxicity where all of these different neurons are dying. And by the time you get to the point where you actually faint, there's a significant amount of neurons that have been damaged, you know, that in a sense, be almost beyond repair. And so it's really important that we keep blood sugar in this very balanced state because we know the, the terrible impact of hyper and hypoglycemia. So we've got to keep it nice and neutral. And that's really where, you know, healthy diet, exercise, healthy lifestyle comes in, should really be prioritized around keeping blood sugar stable. Whenever I think about nutrition, a lot of people will think about nutrients. And I think that's very important, getting nutrients from our food and also minimizing toxin exposure from our food. I think those are both very important, but I think honestly, like the number one thing is blood sugar stability. I want foods that are gonna help stabilize my blood sugar and food combinations that are gonna help stabilize my blood sugar. And then ideally also those foods are gonna be high in nutrients, low in toxins. That's the way I look at nutrition and metabolic health.
So high blood sugar causes advanced glycation end product that leads to inflammation, and that can be a trigger for autoimmune flare-ups. And on the other hand, hypoglycemia is not much better because it decreases fuel supply to your brain. And I always tell uh, my clients that when you get hypoglycemic, uh, even if you don't pass out, you're already on your way to losing neurons. Mm -hmm. so, so anytime you feel the hangry symptoms, you already said bye-bye to you know a number of neurons that you didn't have to say bye-bye to. So definitely stabilizing blood sugar is really important. Now, talk to us about... You know, as as far as autoimmunity goes, we have a condition that that's autoimmune that can affect blood sugar, type one diabetes. So, what's the difference between people with type one diabetes versus type two? For sure. Well, type one diabetes, autoimmune mediated, where the immune system will actually attack and destroy the beta cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. And so, with these individuals, they are not producing insulin. So, if we were to look at their fasting insulin levels on blood work their insulin would be basically just about zero, right? So usually if it's like under two, sometimes they're sputting out just a tiny bit, but not enough to actually bring blood sugar down and stabilize blood sugar. So those individuals have uh, type one diabetes, autoimmune mediated, whereas a type two diabetes, they're actually producing too much insulin. So these people, well, late stage, they don't produce insulin, but Oftentimes we see insulin really, really high for these individuals, but their cells are not responding to it because their cells are insulin resistant. So they have to produce a ton of insulin in order to get any sort of, you know, insulin's job is to get sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into the cells, right? It's trying to, pre pre it's trying to prevent the formation of these advanced glycation end products. So it takes the sugar molecules, puts them into the cells. So over time, though, if we constantly have high blood sugar, we're constantly producing insulin, the cells start to downregulate insulin receptors. They start to become less responsive to the insulin. It's kind of like if somebody's always knocking on your door in the beginning, you're sensitive to the knock. After a while, you just forget about it. You know, I've got young kids around, you know, I've got four young kids. So, you know, when somebody screams or yells, like initially I might, I might, you know, respond to it. But a lot of times my kids are just running around yelling the whole time. And I just completely, I completely ignore it. I have to block it out so I can work. And so it's kind of like the same thing with our cells. They start to block out the message of insulin. And now the body's producing more and more insulin. And then ultimately with type two diabetes, a lot of times the pancreas just, just fatigues or it's not getting the right messages to produce insulin. And then insulin can drop in later stage uh, type two diabetes. And so type one, no insulin production, little to no insulin production type two, typically too much insulin production until late stage where we see a reduction. Now there is a form of type of type two diabetes that is autoimmune. It's thought to be at least autoimmune mediated. Typically with type one diabetes is something people develop early in life. We call it juvenile diabetes. So usually first five years of life or so that individual will be diagnosed Whereas type 2 diabetes and autoimmune-mediated type 2 diabetes is going to be later in life, right? So um, that's going to happen down the road where that individual has diabetes. They have prediabetes for a period of time, and then eventually um, the immune system starts to attack the pancreas, wears it down, and then the pancreas shuts down. So it's usually a process that takes a little bit longer, whereas type 1, it's kind of like this massive attack on the pancreas early in life 
that shuts down or the beta cell pancreatic function of insulin very early in life. Type 1, typically juvenile onset. And then type 2 is where in poor diet and sedentary activity eventually leads to insulin resistance. And then we have that type 1.5 that you just talked about, the latent yeah. uh, adult autoimmune uh, di diabetes, which are called LADA, L-A-D-A. Yeah. And that's what you're describing there, where basically you get that autoimmune diabetes later on in life where you have pancreatic destruction. And just for people to know that these are, um, the autoimmune diabetes is signified by not only high blood sugar, but also very low insulin, typically by the time you get to autoimmune because of the pancreatic destruction. And yep. there are uh, antibody tests that you can do. You can test for islet cell, uh, cell antibodies. You can test for uh, zinc transporter 8 antibodies. You can test for actually insulin antibody. One of the markers that for um, autoimmune diabetes is that you can have autoimmune to your own insulin. And that's actually uh, something that can, a mechanism for, for autoimmune. So now th those are just great information. Now talk to us about I mean, there's actually, as we talk about the different types of diabetes, what type 1, type 2, type 1.5, there's also the type 3. So talk to us about type 3 diabetes, Dr. Yeah, Bob. type 3 diabetes is going to be diabetes of the brain. So just like we were talking about, the brain cells, they really need a continuous supply of glucose. Now, they can run off glucose. They can also run off of ketones as well, but they always need at least 50% of their energy supply to be run off of glucose. And in order to get ketones as an alternative fuel source, you actually need to be in a place where you have very low insulin. And then what happens is your body will take fatty acids, convert them in the liver into water-soluble molecules called ketones that are smaller than fatty acids. And then those can actually cross the blood-brain barrier because normal cells can run off of glucose or fatty acids. However, we can't get the fatty acids, the long-chain fatty acids up through the blood-brain barrier effectively. And that's why the body makes ketones. However, when somebody's insulin resistant, when they have higher insulin, their body's not going to burn fat effectively for fuel and they're not going to produce ketones. So in this case, if blood sugar is dropping too low or if the neurons themselves are very insulin resistant and they're not responding to insulin, we're not getting the glucose into the neurons at the rate that we need in order to provide the necessary fuel for the neurons. They can't produce the ATP that they need. And then they start to build up toxicity, build up uh, all these different metabolic end products. And then ultimately they end up dying and spilling out their contents, just like I was talking about with hypoglycemia, creating this neuroexcitotoxic uh, effect that damages all the cells around them. And ultimately this leads to neurodegeneration. Um, in particular, Alzheimer's is the most well-studied when it comes to insulin resistance, but there's also strong links with dementia, with uh, all different forms of dementia, as well as with uh, things like Parkinson's disease, ALS, a lot of these different neurodegenerative conditions, uh, strong links with insulin resistance. I think it's important for the audience to know that the neurodegenerative processes typically involve some type of inflammatory process. And, and really both inflammatory process and neurodegenerative process can either lead into autoimmunity of the brain and autoimmunity of the brain can also lead to inflammation of the brain, which can accelerate neurodegeneration. So really they all kind of run together because it's an immune system that's become overzealous. The inflammation is really just an immune response. 
if it's overzealous, then it creates tissue destruction. And then we have the neurodegeneration and then drive more tissue damage, which can drive more autoimmunity. For now, sure. You know, when those neurons, when those neurons die and they release their contents, not only does it overexcite the neurons around them, but it also, you know, it, they're releasing these damage-associated molecular patterns that are then picked up by the immune system. And that tells the immune system, hey, there's damage here. We need to start actually, you know, cleaning up this tissue. We want to make sure that this area doesn't get infected. We want to make sure this is part of the healing process. The problem is that, you know, it's all, it's just releasing so many compounds and it's affecting all the neurons around it, creating this kind of chronic inflammatory process. Earlier, we talked about, you know, blood sugar metabolism and how the body can utilize fat. Now, one question that I get a lot of people ask is, what about fat that's not utilized and become deposited, especially around the organ, visceral fat? What's the impact of visceral fat have on inflammation and therefore autoimmunity? Yeah, this is really good. We used to think that fat itself was just a storage form of energy, but now we realize it's actually part of the endocrine system, meaning the hormonal system. And fat cells, these particularly visceral fat that surrounds our organs, will actually release cytokines. And these are immune-mediating agents that tend to drive up inflammation, particularly visceral fats, releasing things like interleukin-6 that's associated with uh, inflammation, tumor necrosis factor alpha. So these inflammatory patterns that are being released that signal inflammation throughout the body. So when we have that extra fat, we know that there's those are drivers. That, that extra fat is a driver for chronic systemic in, uh, in inflammation that's gonna affect all the systems of the body. So yeah, it's very, very problematic. The good thing is when you really change your lifestyle and you start to burn fat for fuel, your body will target and get rid of the visceral fat first. You actually need some, you know, some subcutaneous fat that actually has a lot of health benefits, but we don't want much visceral fat. We want really low percentage of visceral fat. We wanna burn that up. The body knows that. And so when we start getting insulin levels down, and insulin is our fat storage hormone. So when it's elevated beyond a certain threshold, we're not going to burn fat for fuel. But once we get it down below a certain threshold, now we can start to burn fat and the body will prioritize burning that visceral fat that's around our liver, all of our organ systems. Um, it will start to burn that first and that's going to reduce your overall inflammatory load. This is one of the big reasons why when people lose 10 pounds, they feel better. They have more energy, right? They have less pain in their joints because- they have less inflammatory compounds circulating in their system. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to give you an important announcement. You see, many people around the world are deficient in this one crucial mineral, and they don't even realize it. In fact, it's the second most abundant mineral in your body. Every one of your cells contain it and need the mineral to function. But unfortunately, studies estimate that one out of four people, 25% of our world, is deficient in it. And I'm talking about zinc, of course. Zinc is an essential mineral that your body doesn't create or store, meaning daily intake is required. And my friends over at Purality Health have a new rapid absorbing delicious zinc that's a great way to boost your zinc levels and ensure your body's getting this critical mineral delivered to every cell in your body. With just one tablespoon a day, 
You can boost your immune system, improve your memory, reduce inflammation, regulate your hormones, and so much more. Now, the best part is that Purality Health Zinc is one of the most easily absorbed oral forms available today. For a limited time, they're offering a special buy one, get one free deal, which is backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. So if for some reason you don't like their zinc, you can get your money back. So there's no risk. And you, you can take advantage of this buy one, get one free deal on their zinc. All you need to do is visit zincimmunity.com forward slash DRJ. That's all one word. Zincimmunity.com, one word forward slash DRJ to access this exclusive deal. So go out, get yourself some zinc, start seeing the improvement in your immune system, your memory, your inflammation, your hormones today. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about my friend, Dr. Wendy Myers and her great podcast, The Myers Detox. You see, Dr. Wendy is a detox expert. You know that I talk a lot about environmental toxins and how they're impacting our health. While I usually focus on what goes into our bodies, it's crucial to address what needs to come out. So after this episode, take a moment and check out Dr. Wendy Myers and her show, Myers Detox. They have over 500 episodes filled with practical tips on detoxing. She simplifies complex topics, making it feel like a chat with a trusted friend who happens to be a detox guru. So search for Myers Detox on your favorite podcast platform and let the detox journey begin. Now, back to the show. Let's talk, let's get right into it. What's some practical ways to get rid of visceral fat? And then we'll transition to talk about what are some of the ways that we can stabilize blood sugar? Yeah, for sure. So when we're looking at burning fat for fuel and improving, I mean, it all goes together, improving blood sugar stability and uh, reducing inflammation in general. What we wanna do from a nutrition perspective is we want a diet that maximizes nutrients, minimizes toxins. So the key change there is going as organic as possible. That's kind of, you know, wherever you're able to try to do organic because you have more nutrients, less toxins. We want to reduce sugar and grains because those things, any sort of processed sugar, grains in general, they, they are higher glycemic. So they increase blood sugar and insulin levels. And, and oftentimes they can increase them pretty significantly. So we reduce our exposure to sugar and grains. We get rid of bad fats, all, all the processed vegetable oils, corn oil, cottonseed, canola oil, um, corn oil, soybean oil. We want to get rid of those things and hydrogenated oils, of course. Those are bad fats. Those lead to insulin resistance and visceral fat formation. And then we want to focus on healthy fats. That's going to be things like grass-fed meats, which are also a great protein source. It's going to be things like pasture-raised eggs, wild-caught seafood, um, avocados, high polyphenol, fresh-pressed extra virgin olive oil. All olive oil tends to be good as long as it's pure olive oil. But when you get high polyphenol olive oil, you're actually going to get even better benefits for reducing inflammation in the body. Um, and so you can look for you know different types that are fresh pressed, high polyphenol, extra virgin olive oil. Um, and then uh, things like coconut oil, right, can have can have a great effect on blood sugar as well. MCT oil, particularly C8 MCT oil, which is caprylic acid. It's a great little thing you can add to shakes or just take like a teaspoon with a meal and it elevates ketones in your system, which get up into your brain, provide a fuel source for your brain. They also shut down what we call the neuroinflammatory system. And so um, neuroinflammasome. And so it actually shuts down brain inflammation in the system. 
and uh, can have a really great effect on stabilizing blood sugar and improving insulin resistance. So MCT oil can be really helpful. So we focus on those things with nutrition. And then when you're building your meals, I recommend making sure that you've got at least 30 grams of protein in a meal. And that's more than what most people are thinking when they're consuming a meal, right? That may be, for example, one egg has six grams of protein. So you might need five eggs, or you could do, let's say three eggs and um, maybe a cup of organic unsweetened Greek yogurt, for example, maybe some berries on top of that. Um, you want to get about 30 to 50 grams of protein in a meal. And when you do that, that's going to help you feel more satiated. It's going to help balance your blood sugar. You also want to add in you know, fifth, at least 15 grams of healthy fats, 15 to let's say 30 grams of fat. Some people do great on a higher fat diet. I know I can eat high amounts of fat and feel great. Some people, they get digestive issues because oftentimes they have poor sluggish bile flow. Maybe they have had their gallbladder taken out. Maybe they have gallstones. Maybe their liver, their bile ducts and their liver are really congested. So when they eat a higher fat diet, when they consume 25 or 30 grams of fat in a meal, they feel terrible, right? But they can handle 15 grams. And so then stick with that, kind of find out what your fat threshold is. Make sure you're combining, getting good fats in every single meal. A lot of times these protein foods like eggs, for example, um, also contain healthy fats. And so they come together. In some cases, like if you're eating a chicken breast, you need to add fats. So that's when you add avocado or you add extra virgin olive oil or something like that. You want to avoid snacking and, eat, and basically eat two to three solid meals a day and 30 to 50 grams of protein, 15 to 30 or so grams of fat. If you were a high level athlete or if you're trying to build muscle, you know, you're doing a lot of strength training, you might need a little bit more, but you know, for the average individual, that's a good range. And then as much healthy phytonutrient rich fruits and vegetables, you know, that you desire. So you add that in lots of different colors in your meal, herbs, add in herbs, basil, oregano, thyme, cinnamon, ginger, turmeric, right? All of those things are really, really great. And that's how you're setting up your meals. And that's how you want to focus on eating. You also want to make sure you're hydrating well. When you first wake up in the morning, all of us are dehydrated. We've been breathing out water vapor all night. So you want to drink at least 16 ounces of water before you even think about food, okay? And if you can drink more, 32 ounces of water, great. That's going to really help flush your system. The water actually will fill your stomach make you feel satiated and allow you to do something called intermittent fasting and compress your eating windows. And so I recommend having at least 12 hours without any calories from the time you go to bed to the time you wake up. And ideally, trying to compress what we call your eating window, the time between your first meal and your last meal, to roughly eight hours. So let's say if you're hydrate well in the morning, you can oftentimes not feel hungry until let's say you know 10 a.m. or 12 p.m. And then you eat until let's say six or eight. And so that's where you get your two or three meals and it's in that compressed eating window. And that way you've got, let's say 16 hours in this case, if you're eating an eight hour window, you got 16 hours where you're not taking in any calories. During that period of time, your insulin levels are really dropping. And if you prioritize a protein, like I was talking about the healthy fats, that is going to help keep your blood sugar stable. You're not gonna have the cravings. You're gonna feel satiated. You're going to feel good. Your brain's going to feel good. As the insulin drops, your body's actually going to produce ketones. It's going to burn fat for fuel. It's going to start getting rid of that visceral fat. And then it's going to produce the ketones. The ketones, when they get up into your brain, that gives you better mental clarity. It helps improve mood, helps reduce overall brain inflammation. And so that's where you feel even better. And so that's what we want to do kind of with the nutrition perspective, make sure you're hydrating in the morning. And then also between meals, 
Also may want to make sure you're hydrating well. Use salts, especially, you know, when your insulin drops, you need to make sure that you're consuming enough salt because insulin helps you hold on to salt. When insulin drops, you excrete more salt and more minerals. So salting your foods to taste uh, is a great idea. You might even take like a pinch of salt, especially if you're noticing cravings, put it on your tongue and then drink some water. And oftentimes the craving cravings go right away. And so that's a, a really good strategy there as well. So that's from a nutrition perspective. And then of course we want to exercise. I recommend my favorite form of exercise. I mean, in general, any type of exercise is good. Getting out and moving your body, getting out, walking. You know, our ancestors used to walk five to six miles a day um, on average. Most people are not getting anywhere near that. Like most, for most people, if they walk a quarter mile, that's a lot in a day. And so we need to be moving our bodies. So getting out, getting regular movement in is super key. And then I would recommend resistance training. I really think everybody's going to benefit from doing some level of resistance training where you're working out your upper body, your lower body, doing squats, deadlifts, um, push presses. And you can do a lot of these things with just your body weight, or you can do them with certain types of exercise equipment that don't increase your risk of injury. For example, most gyms out there have Nautilus style equipment where they can do push, you can do push presses, things like that. It's real easy on the joints. Um, but really we need to be working on building muscle and building strength, no matter how old you are, you know, no matter where you're at, you know, in, in, uh, your health in your health journey, we want to be building strength. And so I recommend doing upper body and lower body doing at least three days a week. I do upper body together. I do put push exercise followed by a pull exercise for my upper body. So that would be like a, like a push press followed by a row. Um, so the, the muscle group that's doing the pushing my chest, front part of my deltoids, my triceps, they're resting. Those muscles are resting while it's called active rest while I'm working my back and my biceps and my posterior uh, deltoids and my shoulder. And so by doing the row. And so that's a great, a great program. And then lower body, you can kind of combine that with abs, right? With you're doing your abdominal muscles, right? Or your core stabilizers. And so you just really need to make sure you're doing a resistance training. The more muscle you build, muscle itself helps improve overall insulin sensitivity. Muscle itself is actually like a, uh, it's like a sponge for glucose. So the more muscle you have and the more conditioned the muscle is, the more glucose it's going to pull out of the bloodstream. So if you're deconditioned, let's say, you know, the glycogen stores or the storage of sugar in a muscle, let's say it's roughly 50 grams. But when you're well conditioned, right? And you're training on a regular basis, you can get that up to, let's say, 200 grams of stored sugar in you know, a particular amount of muscle mass. And so now your, your body's going to be so much more efficient at pulling sugar from your diet right, and from your blood into your muscles, which is great because that actually gives you uh, more freedom, a little more freedom with your diet, right? If you're going to eat more fruit or you know, if, if you enjoy foods that ideally are nutrient dense, but also for uh, carbohydrate forms, potatoes, sweet potatoes, things like that. You can absorb, you can get rid of or lower the blood sugar without insulin more effectively when you have more well-conditioned muscle mass. So super key. Muscle mass also releases something called myokines. And these myokines, when we're stimulating our muscle, 
these myokines go up and they actually turn up something called brain-derived neurotropic factor in our brain, which is like miracle grow for our brain. It helps repair neurons. It helps to increase the synaptic density between neurons, meaning the ability for the neuron to kind of branch out. We found that it helps with overall flexibility of thought, right? There's a lot of research linking higher BDNF levels and greater synaptic density with greater longevity, right? And uh, greater brain health, cognition as people age. So a lot of great benefits to building muscle mass. So I definitely recommend getting exercise in, getting any sort of movement, and then also adding in resistance training as well. Super key. And then also prioritizing sleep. You know, we see big issues with people's sleep apnea when you're not getting enough oxygen in at night. Um, oftentimes you'll have very restless sleep when that's the case. Um, you might wake up with like a really dry mouth. You might wake up with your heart racing often at night. Never feel like you're really rested. Um, sleep apnea is a huge issue. And so, you know, that's a big factor when it comes to insulin resistance. And it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. We're not necessarily fully sure. You know, some people get sleep apnea first, then insulin resistance. Some people, the insulin resistance really feeds into, and the visceral fat really feeds into the sleep apnea. And as they start to improve their overall lifestyle, sleep apnea goes away. But in the meantime, if you have sleep apnea, getting a sleep study, getting a CPAP, can be really, really helpful, even if it's just for a short period of time. And ideally, I don't like people having to use that for the rest of their life. I'd like for them to get to the root cause, clear it out, be able to actually breathe, do more nasal breathing. You know, one one way to help train nasal breathing and and prevent sleep apnea, actually, this is probably the best, one of the best approaches to prevent sleep apnea is mouth taping, where you actually just take some tape, put it over your mouth at night. It seems like that would create more stress and have you have trouble sleeping, but I did this years ago and it helped train me to breathe through my nose. Most people are mouth breathers. And so just putting some tape over your mouth kind of forces you to breathe out of your nose. And I did this and it did feel weird for maybe two or three nights. And then after that, it was just like my body understood, okay, you know, I created neuroplasticity around this form of nasal breathing and uh, it was now part of my nervous system and adapted into my system. And you can also practice during the day. Just take, you know, just just take a moment and just close your mouth and focus on breathing through your nose. Nice, relaxed breathing through your nose. Nasal breathing increases neuronal nitric oxide levels, right? And so you actually increase nitric oxide, which helps bring oxygen, helps dilate the blood vessels and bring more oxygen nutrients to the brain cells. And so there's some great benefits there from a cognition perspective, brain health perspective, immune benefits that are associated with nasal breathing and sleep apnea is a huge factor. If you're not sleeping well, you know, when it comes to autoimmunity, it's a big driver. You know, if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to heal well. Your immune systems become a lot more dysfunctional. And so a uh, big factor with, with autoimmunity, but also with insulin resistance, diabetes, uh, is making sure that we're sleeping well and that we, we're not suffering from sleep apnea. Those are wonderful uh, multifactorial tips that you can work on all different ways. I mean, the only thing I, I, I want to say is to emphasize the exercise part. I think so many people are really focusing on a diet, and rightly so. But you know, uh, exercise is kind of like an underutilized tool. And um, and, and this great point that you know, more muscle you have, the more you know, uh, glucose disposal ability that you have but the way that you get the bigger muscle is through activity so you got to train it and then the activity also benefit the blood sugar so it's uh it's one of the greatest hacks that most people are not utilizing enough probably so thank you so much for this information packed 
interview. Dr. Jockers, please let people know how they can find out more about your work and how to find you. Yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Khan. You can find me at drjockers.com. I also have a very popular podcast, the Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm on YouTube, Instagram. Uh, just check me out, Dr. Jockers. All right. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you, Dr. Khan, and all the great work you're putting out. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.